All right, let's open up our Bibles to the book of Ephesians and tie this into Scripture today. How many love the Bible? Amen. Don't you love Jesus? I think the Bible is the most important thing we need to look at on times like today because without the Bible, we won't know the story of Christmas. Now, I'm going to save going through the narrative of Christmas for Christmas Eve. I think that will be the most fitting time to do that. We'll go through the narrative of Jesus' birth. We'll sing some more hymns together. But today I want you to see the story of Jesus in the epistles. Uh, Jesus coming into the world was the most uh, greatest act of God in human history. And the thing about it is, is it was more than anything the people could have imagined. Okay, so I want you to get this into your heart today, that Jesus coming in a manger was beyond people's imaginations. For most of us today, we think of Jesus, uh, the Son of God, coming in the form of man, Jesus being born in the manger as normal, like it's absolutely normal. Uh, all of us grew up hearing this in some way or another. How many can relate to it? It's a normal story. How many know if I came and talked to you right now and I said, tell me the story of Christmas, most of you could put it together. You could say, you know, this is how it goes, you know, Mary and Joseph, uh, Joseph thinks that Mary got pregnant outside of, you know, his relationship, but it wasn't true. An angel came to Mary, impregnated her by the Holy Spirit. Jesus is born in a manger. What city was he born in? Bethlehem, right? They tried to kill him, so he had to move away. And then he comes back, and he grows up with his father and his mother, his earthly father and his mother as a carpenter. Around the age of 30, he's baptized. You see, you guys would know the story, right, by John the Baptist. He starts his ministry. Three years later, he's crucified on the cross, right? But you have to understand from the mindset of a Jewish believer, from someone that has been studying the law of Moses, this would have been mind-blowing. You would not have thought that your Messiah would come as a baby in a manger. You would have thought that he would be born into a king's palace. That's what you would have thought. And then, this is amazing, you got to get this right here, you would not have thought that the Messiah was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You would have thought the Messiah was just another person, just a normal, ordinary person like King David, but he does something awesome. He takes over the world, judges the nations. That, in your mind, would have been who he was. So when we see him being born in humble status, that is mind-blowing. But then beyond that, when we see him fulfilling scriptures that were a mystery to the people, this is even more mind-blowing. You mean this person here, this guy right here, the son of Mary and Joseph, this one is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? We know his mom. We know where she gets her groceries at. We, we've seen him since he was this big. We remember him coming to temple. We've watched him play with the guys out here, with everybody else, whatever sports they played back then. That would have seemed even blasphemous to entertain. So when we talk today about this passage that we just happened to be in, and I love that I can tie it into a Christmas message, open your Bibles with me to Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. What we see is that Paul is saying here that God is able to do more than we can imagine, than more than we can imagine right now. So here's the concept. I just want to give it to you right at the beginning. As 
amazing, as extraordinary as it was for God the Son to come into the flesh, how that was beyond their imaginations is as far beyond our imagination right now what God is going to do when he comes to rule and reign. Only about four of you got that. Only about four of you got that. See right now, see right now, you might be able to identify with the Jews a little bit of Jesus' day. See, because the Jews of Jesus' day, you know, let's say a year before Jesus would have been born in a manger, if their rabbi would have come up and talked, they would have said, no, 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 we got this. We got this, rabbi. We know about the Messiah. Don't, don't tell us it's going to be so extraordinary. We've already got a system built to handle this thing, and we understand. We, we've got God in a nice box, Rabbi. We're ready. And the very next year when Jesus came, and 30 years later when he's raised up, goes right over their head. They're crucifying him on a cross. And I'm telling you right now, let's say Jesus were to come back next year at this time, y'all would have your minds blown. And some of you are thinking right now, no, no, I got this, Pastor. I got it. I got it. I've already read a little bit of Revelation, scary stuff. But, but I, got, I know how this looks. I know what it looks like. And the problem is, no, you don't. Because I'm telling you, I've been studying this for 20 years. And even for me, I feel like literally I have a thimble full of what the kingdom of God coming is like. And I'm looking at the ocean in front of me. And I'm just holding this thimbleful right here going, okay, I understand this, uh, but I need, to under, I need to lap up some more of this. I need to jump in this. I need to explore the rest of this. So do not get cocky right now and think to yourself, no, there, there's no way that Jesus' second coming is going to be beyond what I can imagine because your imagination is limited. Their imagination, the Jewish people's imagination was limited. Our God's a creative God. Just look at all the stars he put in the sky. Look at all the creatures he put on the earth. And look at God's great creativity in human history and how he's used things for his glory, even interwoven them through some of the most wickedest times. So please, today, as we look at Ephesians, do not sit back with a kind of cocky, prideful attitude going, man, I got this. Because I don't think we do. I don't think we as a culture understand even just the thimbleful of what the second coming is all about. Because it wasn't just about Jesus coming the first time. It was meant to do a whole lot of other things. As a matter of fact, this was the mindset that the Jewish people thought that when the Messiah came, all of the human history would stop right at that point, and then the Messiah would rule and reign with God upon the earth. They had no idea that there would be 2,000 years more of human history. The Jewish people thought they alone were going to inherit the kingdom of God. Now look at all the cultures that are here today. And a couple weeks ago when I said, who in our congregation is even Jewish, we only had one Jewish person. So the Jewish people could not even imagine that all of this was going to happen. All the nations were going to come in. And you see right now, you're looking at Chicago and you're going, well, you know, if Jesus came to rule and reign, it would be different here. But do you have any idea how different it will be when Jesus rules and reigns and what Chicago will look like? Have you even tried to use your imagination to understand what it's going to look like? Because I tell it to you guys every Sunday, and I try to get you as much as I can to, to go deep inside of you. But I don't know if some of you guys are trying, because so often I look at your lives, and what you're living for is so temporary. 
You know, Leonard Ravenhill, the great preacher, put over his doorpost in his, uh, his office something that he would always be reminded of as he would walk out from his office, and it said, Am I is what I'm living for worth Christ dying for? You see, that's where we have to look into our lives going, is what I'm living for really with what Christ died for? Is this really what it's all about in the long run? Am I, am I applying my life to the kingdom of God? Because when Jesus said this, seek ye first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, he was not playing. He is literally telling you there is a kingdom to come, and as mind-blowing as it was when he came the first time, that's as mind-blowing as it's going to be when he comes the second time. Can I get an Amen. So let's look to Paul, the, the author of this epistle. We've been going through it this whole entire year. It says, for this reason I kneel before the Father. See, that's why he kneels before the Father, because God is so much greater than he could ever comprehend, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. There is one race, the human race, and we come from Adam and Eve, and God is the father of the human race. But we have fallen, and many have chosen the father, the devil, so we have to be born again into the fatherhood of God. God. So you're not naturally under the fatherhood of God, but you are, generally speaking, under his creation, under his sovereignty, under his rule. Look at verse 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ, somebody say Christ, thank you, may dwell in your hearts through faith. So there you see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We bow before the Father. We pray for the Spirit to fill us so that Jesus might be in us. He says, I pray that you being rooted, or excuse me, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. Now watch this. He's praying that we would have power. Somebody say power. Thank you. With all the Lord's holy people to grasp. Here's where it's going to start getting deep on us. To grasp how wide, long, high, and deep is the love of God. Everybody go, how wide, how long, how high. How deep? Do it again with me. How wide? How long? How high? And how deep? Thank you is the love of Christ. The love of Christ is beyond our imagination. But that doesn't mean we just sit back and go like, oh, man, I'm not going to think about it. It's so deep. No. We apply our imagination to it just like we're sending probes into the galaxy right now. And they keep going further and further and further. You are to probe the love of God. You are to see how wide it is. You are to see how long it is, how high and how deep it is. Verse 19, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to all the measure of the fullness of God. How much of the measure of God is supposed to be in you? All the fullness. How much of the measure? All the fullness. Thank you. Now watch this. Watch this. Here's how he ends this wonderful prayer. I want you to read it with me on the count of three. One, two, three. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work in us. Now read verse 21. Thank you to him. Be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Can I hear an amen? amen. Wow. So Paul actually tells the story of human history and salvation in that prayer. The story of human history is that God is our creator, that we come from God, that we don't come from the goo through the zoo to you. That then the Holy Spirit was sent upon the earth to abide with us, but we now were separated from God. We were naked, not only from our clothes, but from the glory which clothed us. 
But to get spiritual rebirth, to be clothed again with God's power, we needed Jesus to die on the cross. Now Jesus, because of the cross, can live in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, and that is motivated by love. So we are to be filled with the love of God. That is the the life of a Christian. And then he says here that I am praying that you will see how much more God can do than what you ask or imagine. That's actually what he's praying. And so you and I are to have our ask and our imaginations as the starting point of our prayers and then submit ourselves to God and say, God, now you give me your imaginations and your plans and your thoughts that go so far beyond mine. So my biggest dream for Chicago is 100,000 disciples here with 50 churches. And God says, that's just the beginning. That's just the beginning. I see the nations being saved, and God says, that's just the beginning. You and I have to get kingdom-minded, first of all, to even see God go beyond our imaginations and dreams. Some of you, you don't have kingdom imaginations and dreams. That's why you and God don't share interplay of your thoughts. See, your thoughts are always on yourself. That's why you're not hearing God's thoughts about his kingdom. When your thoughts are always on yourself, you're missing what God is thinking about. The Bible says we're to have the mind of Christ. God is speaking to us in the language of thought. God made us to do that. The conscience is a doorway for the spiritual realm. And you can hear the temptations of the devil, and you can hear the voice of God. Most of you only hear your voice and the temptation of the devil, and it's probably indiscernible to you. You probably think the devil is talking, uh, is you most of the time. You don't even know that he's influencing you with your identity, with your anger, with your, with your passions and lusts and desires. You have adopted what the devil is saying. In other words, you have subscribed to his downloads and he just downloads and downloads and downloads my wife's phone blew up one day she had no more storage space so the first place I went to was the pictures because I go she takes like a hundred pictures of our kids a day but oh I found out it wasn't that what had happened was my podcast synced with her phone and then the setting said automatically down them download them so I have about 20 podcasts I listen to most of them come out daily so she had in a few months by accident not even knowing automatically downloaded about 60 gigabytes gigabytes of podcasts. And that's the problem is that so many of you are downloading thoughts, downloading identity, downloading plans from the devil, and you don't know how to resist him. You don't know how to take back your thoughts. You don't know how to take back your imaginations. So the first thing is get born again and clean the inside. Let God clean the inside of your house. Then number two, set your spiritual mind and thoughts on the things of God. And some of you go, oh, no, it couldn't be that bad for me. No, I tell you, put your, put your face in God's book for one week, and you'll notice all these thoughts intruding your mind. You'll notice all the thoughts that you took for granted that you thought were your own. Are you listening? Now, for those of us who are going on spiritual journeys into the imaginations of God, can I get an amen? I want to know who I'm talking to. Who, who goes on imaginations with God? Who thinks the thoughts of God? I mean, it doesn't matter if you're Andrew in the back working a wrench nine to five. It doesn't matter if you're sweeping a floor, doing electrician work. It doesn't matter where you're at in life. You know what I'm talking about. Your mind goes to the things of God to the things that he has for your family, to the things that he has for your future, to the things that he wants you to accomplish in life. And it's a wonderful thing to have a relationship with God. As the old timers would say, thou my best thought, whether by day or by night. He is my best thought by day or by night. And so when we come into that place, what we want to see in this passage right here is that God goes beyond our imaginations and our dreams. 
God goes beyond whatever you and I could think about. So I want to start right now with an exercise. What are the top three things that you and God talk about every day? Just think about it right now. What are those top three things? For me, it's always going to go to God in my personal character life, God in my family, and God in my ministry, because that's my job. For you, you may have four, God in your life, God in your family, God in your job, and God in your ministry, right? So just think, however it goes, to, to three main things right now that you and God talk about. What, what do you have in your heart that comes to your mind right now? For me, what comes to my mind about my personal life is that I want to live without fault. I want to live without sin. I want to be sinless. I constantly think to myself, Lord, how can I do the thing that I'm doing better without stumbling and without sinning? And so just to start right here, I want to apologize to you because one of the things that we've been doing in our church is writing songs with the worship band. And uh, I've been using the altar time to write songs with the worship band. So when, when we start to worship the Lord, I start going, hey, man, play this. Uh, you try this because the songs we sing here are unique. But there's been times where I've gotten angry with them, like where they're not playing what I'm asking them to play. And there's no excuse for it, you know, and don't feel sorry for me. So I want to repent to you. And I want to tell the band I appreciate them. And I don't want you as a congregation to think that that's how we should treat people in frustration. And so God talks to me about that. As I go on my prayer walks, God shows me that in my mind's eye, today as we end the service, and if the Lord were to give me a song, he shows me how I can gently guide the drummer, how I can speak to Adam about the verses and gently guide Rachel Rates to do her part. And that's, that's an imagination. That's a thought that I give the Lord. But God can go beyond that. God can go so far beyond that. I, I, I can only imagine up to that far. And maybe then I say in my imagination, well, maybe the, the song gets recorded. And then it goes on Caleb. And we stop listening to some of these broken together type songs. And we start listening to these songs. And, oh, and then maybe it looks like something like a concert one day. I don't know. But, but God meets me there. Every place I go in my imagination with this little thing that starts off with just leading the worship band better as a pastor, God says, come on, let's Let's go one step further. Let's go one step further. When I was praying for a wife, you know, this is another thing for me individually. When I used to pray for a wife, I was a single pastor for 10 years. And so when I would pray for a wife, I, I would only just think of beauty on the outside. You know, maybe I looked at a picture of, uh, you know, Jennifer Lopez or Kim Kardashian or whatever was on at that time, you know, or, you know, Pamela Anderson, whatever. And I would say, oh, my wife will be beautiful like that. My wife will be beautiful like that. You know, in my mind, whatever. And, and God had to correct me and say, you know, it's, it's not on the outside. It's going to be on the inside, right? But she's beautiful on the outside as well, but, but he had to correct me to not be vain and not to be worldly, and then God would show me, I want you to be a father, and you know, and I'm lifting weights, by the way, and I'm, I'm getting stronger, and God is showing me, it's not just there, it's not in your strength, it's not in your external ability that will make you a great father, it's in your character, it's in your discipline, so, so here I am, uh, I, you know, I'm thinking I'm marrying some kind of a supermodel, I'm going to have a six-pack, and we're going to be this buff couple, you know, whatever, and, and the things, and I think that matters, and yet the thing that I don't think matters, getting up and praying every morning, cleaning my room, filling up my car with gas so it doesn't run out on the highway as it did many times while I was in college, and uh, you know, paying my bills on time. See, these things I didn't think matter, but you see, God was saying, those things matter most. It's not the external, it's, it's what's got, what I'm doing on the inside, building character. And then, and then all of a sudden, I started to see the two come together. 
And then the outside and the inside started to match, and I find my wife, and I find a good thing and obtain favor from the Lord, and then she's more than what I imagined. And then we talked about having children, and then the children start to come, and then it's more than that I imagined. I mean, literally, just let's just take this for a moment, because I don't want you to think this is unobtainable, that God is literally saying, I'm taking you to a make-believe world, and you'll never reach it. No, I really believe God does things beyond my imagination all the time. Okay, so watch. I drew out this picture of my wife and kids, and, and in my dreams, it was almost like it was a two-dimensional picture, right? It was like it's just this flat kind of, uh, you know, pin-up girl, and we would have fun loving Jesus. But then as I meet my wife in the depth of her character and how she strengthens me as a person, it goes deeper than I can ever imagine. And when I thought about kids, I'm thinking them almost like in, a, in an old movie reel, like little pictures just kind of popping up, like, well, do this, and then we'll do this. But I had no idea the love that I would experience going into the depth of their character, learning their personalities day by day, having the joy of watching them grow up and become a man or woman of God. Are you listening? I'm just on number one. What are you dreaming about today? What are you thinking about today? Every place you're going today, in your dreams and in your thoughts, God is saying, let's go one step further. Let's go. Let's go. And then it's the same thing with, with my family and the dreams that we have now moving forward. As I think moving forward, you know, I think about doing wonderful things with them in the, in the world that God's blessed us with and them having talents and them growing up and having their children. I mean, I was just riding my bike the other day, and there was this small, petite woman. She was jogging. I was passing her, and, and just a thought crossed my mind. That could be my Zoe one day because my Zoe is a small, little, petite girl, and it just crossed my mind. Like, one day Zoe is going to be 50 years old. One day, Zoe is going to be 50 years old, and that just took me on another journey. And I said, what do I want Zoe to remember about her father when she's 50 years old? What, what are the things I want to instill into her life now so that when she's 50 years old and she has her own children, maybe even grandchildren at that time, she can look to them and say, my father raised me like this. See, more than my imagination. Whenever that day comes, I guarantee you, when Zoe is 50 years old, she'll experience a life that's greater than what I'm imagining right now. And then when I think about this ministry, like I said before, so often, you know, we talk about numbers, 100,000, because we want to see the city transform. But that's 100,000 people. Just you being in this church has gone beyond my imagination. Let alone if we had 100,000 stories, 100,000 testimonies like David and Amy, Amy, 100,000 stories and testimonies like Curtis and, and Karina and, and Nicole, the stories like of Cynthia and how God met her in Bible college through brokenness but brought her back healed and whole and now she's experiencing the life that God has for her and Jared, you know, all of these stories have already gone beyond my imagination because when I was even just thinking of 100,000, I'm thinking of it almost like it's a cartoon, you know, like when you watch those shows and maybe it's like cars and they're driving around this racetrack and there's all these people in the stands, they're just little two-dimensional objects that go, yay, you know, as it passes by. And so when I first started the church and we didn't have anybody and I see 100,000, I'm just thinking of a bunch of like two-dimensional flat images going, yay. But as we've been pastoring people, I get to know Charlie. I get to know Angel. I get to know Josh. I get to know their stories. It's beyond what I imagined. Is God taking you on those journeys? Is God doing that in your life? Because that's what Paul wanted us to experience, and it all should be to God. Now, what's the next question that, that always comes after this? Is, Joe, what if I don't see those things beyond my imagination now? So, Joe, I got a big imagination. I make a trillion dollars. How about that one, God? Do better than that. 
Well, see, the first thing is, are we thinking a kingdom imagination? Is it just kingdom, or is that your way of being, you know, prideful and selfish? Now, maybe God wants you to have the, you be the first trillionaire. Go ahead and do it, amen? But what I'm trying to say is, maybe that's less than what God has for you. You actually think that's more, but God actually calls that less. God would rather you have a $100,000 a year job and your children know your name and for them to spend time with you every day than for you to live in a, a, a divorce, separated family and have a trillion dollars in the reputation that Steve Jobs had with his children. Are you listening? So you got to take that journey with God. And, and when he takes your imagination down that road, let him, let him take you there. But I'm like you. I dream the $100 million lottery dream. I dream it. And we're, we're there. So the question is, well, what about those dreams? What about the things that I've dreamed and don't, don't come to pass? And, you know, there's a lot of people who die with unfulfilled dreams. And maybe even they're good people, so they didn't have a bad, selfish dream. They really dreamed like, uh, let's say they're an old saint that was a part of a church and the church was dying. And they had a dream that a thousand young people would come to that church before they would die. And, and old sister so-and-so, she died and there was never a thousand people in that church. Or maybe a hardworking dad, he said, you know what, I want to leave my children a house. I never had a house. I came to this country with nothing. I've worked hard my whole life. My goal is to leave my children a house. Maybe he dies before he gives them the house. What, what happens with these unfulfilled dreams? What happens with the things that we thought that God would do in this life? Well, the thing is, there's a life to come, friends. <laughs> That's where it gets so amazing is guess what? There is another life to come. There is another place called heaven that comes to earth, and there's a whole bunch of stuff that be happening there that didn't happen here. Do you understand what I'm saying? So I got, no, I said, do you understand what I'm saying? There's a whole lot of stuff on the other side that's going to happen. Now watch this. Jesus talked like this. Now, if you were a follower of Jesus, and I said, write down the top three questions you would ask him right now. So we can do some, uh, what is this, quantum leap thing. It's an old show where you can jump into somebody's body in the past, okay? So imagine if we can quantum leap you, women into Mary Magdalene, men into Peter, whatever. Boom, you show up right now. What questions are you asking Jesus? Probably none of the questions that matter. I'll guarantee that. You're asking him about Aunt Mima. You're asking him why do bad things happen. All of these things that Jesus would just look at you crazy and be like, didn't you read the Bible? Come on. I mean, there's a heaven or a hell. Aunt Mima's in one of them. Evil things happen because there's a devil. What are you confused about? Okay. Now, but now watch. The disciples are just like us, human beings, experiencing life with the living God in the flesh. What are their questions? When are you coming to rule and reign? When are you popping this thing off? Because I want to be there. Can I be on the left and the right? That's all they wanted to know from him. When does this kingdom come that you've been talking about this entire time? When does it come? All the way up into the time where he's going up and the angels are coming down and saying, why are you still looking up here? He has gone. Go tell the world about him. They are literally asking, when is this kingdom coming? And he says, it's not for you to know the days and the times, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the other most parts of the earth. Okay, but that was their number one question. Why? Because they were answering uh, the question in their hearts with a question. Their question of, when will I get to do this? When will I get to do this? was all tied to the question, when do you come rule and reign? So here's how I've thought about it. Honestly, I've settled it in my heart. You guys ready for this? 
the daydreams that I have of 100,000 or the city being transformed, if I were to die and only pastor a few thousand uh, or anything like that or just only a few churches, whatever, here's what I would say to myself at 80 years old, and here's what I would say to you. I've been faithful with little. I'm ready now for much. I'm ready now for much. Do you all get that? That's exactly how Jesus taught. He said, I went, he said there's a, there's, here's how the kingdom is. There's a man who goes on a journey. He gives out three bags of gold to three stewards. One, he gives one bag of gold. Another one, two bags of gold. Another one, five bags of gold. He said, work until I come back. Then when he came back, he said, what did you do with the one bag of gold? The one says, I hit it. The other one with two multiplied. The other one with five multiplied. And the problem is that we think that Jesus is some type of a communist, that he's going to be fair to everybody based on just this principle of if you didn't do your part and I did mine, I'll still give you some of mine. No, no, no. That charity ends on judgment day. Charity is to prepare us to understand the love of God, but judgment is based on your works. He says, no, take the bag of gold from the one who did nothing and give it to the one with 10. And then this is where you hear the saying, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter, enter into this kingdom or into this place that I've prepared for you. So now imagine, I believe in the kingdom coming. How many believe that? Can we imagine this together? I'm just talking still about mine. Hopefully you're applying them to yours. So whatever unfulfilled dream, I have 100,000. The trumpet sound, Jesus is back on earth. He says, I've come to rule and reign for a thousand years. Now it's time to settle the score and put people in charge of cities. Is he going to give the one in charge of this city who's a coward, who cannot stand before people and tell, uh, tell them abortion is a sin? Is he going to say, you've been faithful with little? No, you took what you had and you buried under a ditch and tap danced in front of people so you could be popular. This man went out and worked hard for me. He's in charge. Chicago, this is your governor. Are you listening? I have a belief that literally every desire that is truly a God desire, if it does not come true here, it comes true there. There is an actual world to come. There is an actual day where Jesus does step his feet on this earth as the King of kings and Lord of lords and rules and reigns from Jerusalem, and there's 12 thrones for his apostles minus Judas. Now add Paul there, and they are the supreme court of the land. And then he says, the others will rule on thrones with me. Do you guys get that? That's my hope. Now, you may say, what about the fulfilled things in other people's lives? So I prayed for my sister to get saved. And let's say my sister doesn't get saved. On Judgment Day, God will show us that he did activate blessings and opportunities into their lives because we prayed. But he would not violate their will. So yes, dream for your children. Dream for your lost family members to be saved. But if they do not get saved, do not hold that against God because God gave you a choice and God gave them a choice. God gave Adam and Eve a choice. Are you listening? So there will be no disappointment on Judgment Day. When Judgment Day comes and this God who can do more than we ever ask or imagine shows up and does what he does. Look, to him be glory in the church in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. For how long? Forever and ever. For how long? Forever and ever. We'll never be disappointed. We'll never be disappointed. So let's rewind it all the way back to today. Let's start right here. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to trust our God. We're supposed to live with our God today in a relationship with him, having thoughts and imaginations that are focused on him. And I want you to see this in closing as the band comes. Look what, look what 1 John says here. Look what he taught 
What he taught us here is the same exact principle that I'm teaching you now. This is the gospel writer, John, who spoke there, you know, God so loved the world, he loved the whole, uh, that he gave his only begotten son. This is that same John. Look at what he says in 1 John, it's his epistle, chapter 3, verse 2. Dear friends, now we are the children of God. What are we now? Children of God. Now watch this. And what we will be has not yet been made known. This man had the revelation. He wrote the book of Revelation. And he said, guys, you haven't even seen anything yet. You think you understand it now? You have no idea what's coming your way. That's why so often I tell you about Jesus' second coming. What's Oprah Winfrey and Bill Gates and, and uh, you know, all these people doing when the second coming happens, when Jesus comes? They're shouting out, oh, no. Oh, no. I'm, I, I was wrong. I'm losing everything now. Oh, no. What am I shouting out? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I'm going right downtown to Ray, Mayor Rahm Emanuel's house, and I'm saying, I'll take those keys. Thank you very much. You may now leave this house. This belongs to us. I'll go now to Bill Gates, and I'm going to say, Bill Gates, thank you very much for your help with technology. You will now be in charge of my Internet here. You're working for me, Bill Gates. Are you listening to me? Are you listening? I mean, that's literally what's that. Ruling and reigning with Christ. Ruling and reigning with Christ. He says, you are now children of God, but what will be has not been yet known. Now watch this. But we know. Somebody say, I know this. When Christ appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. So is it about me being a kingdom ruler first and foremost? No, heaven isn't even about uh, streets of gold. It's about the king that's there. And ruling and reigning with Christ is not about having authority and living in the messianic age of the king. No, it's about being with our God and being like our God. Can I take you to Revelation? Come on, somebody say, take me there, pastor. Can you bring me over there, brother? I forgot to bring up the swiper, please. I want to take you to Revelation to the end of the story because God's going to do things greater than our imaginations. Look at what it says here in Revelation chapter 20. And I saw an angel coming out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked it and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years ended. Okay, So when Jesus comes back, the devil is thrown into a pit right outside Jerusalem. So whenever you want to go visit Jesus, like going to Disneyland, just imagine how you go to Disney World and Disneyland, uh, Disney World rather, you go to see alligators as well. You're like, man, where are the alligators? Let's go do a swamp tour. When you go to Jerusalem, you're going to say, where's the devil at? Oh, there he's in that pit. You're going to look over and see a fallen angel chained in an abyss. I'm being honest with you. But now look at verse 4. I saw thrones, not just one throne. God is one, but God through his people now rules on thrones. I saw how many? Thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. So they say only God can judge me. Yes, and God and his people. We will judge you, little Wayne. We will judge you. We will be your judge, Judy. We will be the rulers of this earth. Are you understanding that? What do you think Jesus meant when he said, pray thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven? Do you think he just said that just so you could see, uh, you know, uh, 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 like I said, a picture of Disney World, you know, just a little princess dancing around? No, we're going to rule the earth. 
And I saw the souls of those who have been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the Word of God. Do you know that beheading was an ancient way of killing people? And that now in our day, more Christians are being killed this way than ever before because of that demonic religion, Islam. Isn't that something? And that's the way it will be until the end. These people will be judging. These people will be leaders. They had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or hands. Not quite the Christmas message you were looking for. Uh, but come next week, we'll tell you the story of the manger and all of that. But I hope you see it. Because he came the first time, blew our minds. He's coming the second time to blow our minds. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. Those who are dead are in hell. They'll stay in hell. They'll only come up and get a resurrected body for destruction into the lake of fire. Hell's the county jail. The lake of fire is like going to the pen, going upstate. Those who are in hell will stay there as disembodied souls until they're resurrected and then sent off to the lake of fire. He says, this is the first resurrection. Look at this. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. How many want to be a part of that? Amen. The second death has no power over them. That's the second death being sent to the lake of fire. But they will be what? Priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for how many years? A thousand years. Can you swipe it back for me, please? I want to ask you this question today. Do you believe what the Scriptures teaches? Do you believe that? Then let me read this. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up graciously for us all, how will we now along with him also give us graciously all things? Who can bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies See, it's okay to dream big with God. God's got a plan for you, even in the midst of what may seem like a world gone crazy. Who is it then that condemns? No one. Say no one. See, if you got God on your side, you're not afraid of anyone. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God. And what's he doing right now? He is interceding for us. Jesus is interceding for you. He is praying for you to the Father. That's why I don't need Mary, his brother or sister, or the saint of Guadalupe. This is all I need is my Jesus praying for me by the Father. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Same author, Paul here, right? He says it's so, he says so wide, it's so long, it's high and deep. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship? or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. And in our vocabulary, what would we say? Anxiety, depression, suicide, uh, low self-worth. Do those things separate us from God? Racism? No, look at verse 6. As it is written for your sake, we face death all day long. Yes, we're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. People don't always like us down here. So no, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us. Somebody say, I'm more than a conqueror because Jesus loved me. Come on, say it again. I am more than a conqueror because Jesus loved me. Come on, say it like this. If he came the first time to save me, he's coming the second time to glorify me. Come on, say it again. If he came the first time to save me, he's coming a second time to glorify me. He is going to glorify you in the image of his son. 
in the image of Jesus, for I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Would you stand up and give it up for Jesus today? Come on, somebody shout hallelujah. Come on, let's praise him. Somebody say thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Woo. We thank you, God. We thank you, Jesus. There is nobody like you, God. You can think of it like this. The first and second coming are tied together by this narrative. The first and second coming, excuse me, so we're tied together in this narrative right here that the son of god became the son of man that the sons and daughters of men might become the sons and daughters of god first and second coming tie it together y'all i look like jesus on the inside don't i so do you you're a new creation and that's what the first coming initiated and brought to us was to take away separated mankind and bring us in union with God's love. And it blew our minds, didn't it? Still to this day, it's blowing people's minds. I just saw a dear sister's uh, crusades in Ethiopia, an unreached nation, reaching tens of thousands of people. These Ethiopians, who mostly have come either from tribal religion or from Islam, are having their imaginations blown as they hear about a God who loved them so much that sent a son to die on the cross for them. I'm telling you, it is true, right? Can I hear an amen? amen. And as surely as that is true, he is coming again to transform our bodies, to be like his resurrected body, to rule and reign upon this earth, to fulfill every promise and hope that we didn't see come to pass here that he will do it on that day wipe away every tear and fulfill every promise every single promise that was of his word amen lord we want to be ready for that day in jesus name right now would you thank the lord if you are born again already but if you're not born again we want to thank you for coming all you have to do to be born again is accept jesus today in an attitude of prayer as your Lord and Savior, say, Jesus, you're the Lord of my life. Confess your sins before him today, and he'll change you. Those of you who are saved, just come on, thank him that he's made you a child of God and that he's told you to take a trip on the glory ship of imagination. So those who are praying for salvation, receive it now. Those who are thankful right now, let God know it. Let's take a few moments, and then we're going to end singing. And as we do, we're going to use that imagination to start looking at those areas of our life and start saying, God, do more than what we can ask or think or imagine. Take us on this journey with you. A few more moments. A few more moments before we make it to the next level right now. But I want to make sure everybody's born again. If you're not, just surrender. Jesus, I need you. You're my Savior. You died on the cross for me. Forgive me of my sins. Pray something like that and watch what God will do. Altar workers, would you come, please? If you've asked Jesus into your heart, 
and you want someone to pray with you or you're not right with God and you're praying right now to get the junk out, just come to them even right now before we dismiss and they'll start praying with you right now. No matter who you are, if you want us to start praying, we'll start right now because I want to speak to those who know they're born again and right with God. We open this time up for those who need to make that relationship right. Now, for the rest of us who know we have a right relationship with God, let us pick one of those areas of our life and start going on an imagination journey right now with the Lord. Let's start putting our thoughts on His thoughts right now. Come on. And start saying, God, use me for your glory. As you're you're using your imagination, just say to the Lord, use me. Use me, God. Use me in my finances, in my job. Use me in my family. Dream big today. Use me in the church, Lord. Use me with, with the community that I live in. Now let's go to another one. Let's spend about 30 seconds on each one and let's do this three different times. Come on, use your imagination. And use it now to start praying forth the will of God. God, I pray for your will to come in my life, in me and through me. Anyone needing salvation, you're still welcome to come. In just a moment when we dismiss, everybody else can come who needs prayer for healing or a financial blessing or encouragement. But right now, those who need salvation to get right with God, come as we're thanking the Lord now and meditating on Him. Now let's go to the third one. And if you haven't already prayed about ministry, let's all do it now. Come on, have a dream about ministry. Have a dream about God doing something dynamic in your life for the glory of His kingdom. Think about the children's lives you can impact. Think about the teenagers. Think about the marriages. Think about the business owners, the governmental leaders. Maybe some of you are going to be called to start reaching out to your leaders in the community on your job. More than we can imagine. More than we could ever ask. The band has prepared a song. They're going to start singing. Then we'll dismiss in just a moment. Let us worship together. Hallelujah. Let's sing hallelujah. Before we dismiss, if you just need prayer for anything, why don't you come up now? Why don't you come up now before we dismiss? If you're feeling the loneliness because maybe somebody you love's not with you in the holidays, let's pray for you right now. If you feel like you're you need some direction, like you're lost, you need some prayer for that, come on up. We'll dismiss after we sing a few more moments. Let's go. Come on, saints. Let's go deeper into the things of God today. Let's join Him on this wonderful journey. We're using our imaginations. We're having hope in the Lord today for His kingdom to come. We love you, Jesus. We join with the angels and we sing it out today.
get ready to dismiss, that we will learn to love you. And as we learn to love you, that we will learn to dream and imagine with you, to have hope not only in this world, but in the world to come. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Can you give it up for Jesus? God bless you. You are dismissed. Have a wonderful day. Those who want to pray, keep on praying. Otherwise, slap somebody high five. Tell them that you're excited to see them here today. Thank you for coming. We'll see you Christmas Eve.